battling an evil that steals souls for eternity is a job for thieves. Are you just watching episode one thirty nine? Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we are discussing a movie that's about a you know it's a bit of a controversy from like three decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> so recent, yeah. Yeah. Well, recent yeah, for sure. us. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, we dealt with the Jesus Revolution in our last episode, which, if you haven't heard that episode, we do recommend you go back and listen to it because we were talking about a different kind of controversy. And I think this movie is going to be more of a discussion of a controversy that was a really big deal. Back around the time that you and I were in elementary school and high school, and possibly mm-hmm. into college, so um, yeah, 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 and it's something that has been recently, I think, popularized by a show that hit some pretty high viewership on Netflix called Stranger Things, which we also did uh, a review on, and. Yep. I think it's always been there kind of in the background. Our generation has kind of held on to it for a while. Mm -hmm. But it is something that I think possibly has been resurrected by the popularity of Stranger Things. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No question about it. So Dungeons and Dragons, while it is, in most people's estimation, a role-playing game, there is a much bigger, what would you say, like... It's like an MCU of its own. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was TV show. A and series of novels and... A series? Hundreds of them. Yeah. And there's been at least one other movie. I keep seeing Jeremy Irons. He was the villain in it. Hmm. You know, it's cameoed in many, many <laughs> yeah. TV shows, including yeah. Big Bang Theory and Stranger Things. Right. So anything that kind of deals with the 80s and 90s, it's it was so much part of pop culture back then. It was like the Marvel of the 80s yeah. and 90s. It was like everybody, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I mean, if you think about it. so And it, it created a bit of a controversy, which we are going to talk about a little later. But before we go into the controversy of D&D, we want to just give our impressions of just this movie. So mm. we'll save our discussion. Well, we might touch a little bit on the controversy of D&D as a role-playing game in our impressions, because you are a Dungeons & Dragons role-player, game player, so... I am, <laughs> and I'm even present tense. <laughs> yes, yes. So, I went into this movie with very few expectations, because I may have read a few Dungeons & Dragons novels in my day, but I have never been involved with the role-playing game. I was raised in the part of the Christian community that thought it was sinful to even mention Dungeons and Dragons. So Mm -hmm. I probably didn't even read any of the books until I was an adult because that was stuff was like stuff I kept completely out of my life. It was that kind of that understanding that if there was anything that even smacked of the occult, you were supposed to burn it in your backyard kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. 
this would definitely have come under that. So I went into this movie with very few expectations, but I actually really love fantasy, especially epic fantasy. So I was excited to see this movie, number one, because I really like Chris Pine. He's becoming one of my favorite actors, (laughs) and he does comedy so well. He does. Yeah, every preview I saw of this movie, it really showed it to be more of a comedy than an epic fantasy. And, you know, mixing those two things just make me happy. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I love the humor in the movie. The production value was amazing. Of course, it's so much easier to do fantasy these days with the advent of really cheap and easy to do computer animation. Oh, yeah. It has really made these kind of movies so much easier to produce and make. And I think that things like Dungeons and Dragons benefit from that because they don't have to throw so much money at just creating the creatures and they can have fun Mm -hmm. with the characters (laughs) and the plot. So that is one of the things that I really liked. Now I do want to mention the music. It's actually on my list of impressions this time. The music Mm. is by Lauren Balfe and we've had him on a couple other movies that we've reviewed. He's, I think he must be a really up and coming because it seems like we're seeing his name more and more often over the last few years. Yeah. He did Black Adam. We just reviewed mm-hmm. that a couple yeah, months ago. Yeah, he did ago. Black Adam. He also did Gemini Man, which we did a review of a couple years ago or maybe three years ago. He did uh, WandaVision too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway. He's definitely an up-and-comer, seeing more and more of his music, and I really do appreciate this soundtrack. I I went and listened to the whole thing through, I think it was yesterday, I listened to the whole thing through, and I was really quite impressed with the variety of music, because he kind of has that... I did too, actually, this weekend. (laughs) Yeah, minstrelly feel of the quote-unquote era of the fantasy that's going on, and but he also has really good action symphonic music in there, and... Mm -hmm. So anyway, I appreciated the music, and I do want to play just a little bit of it here so everybody can hear it. That set the mood. Continuing on with my impressions, I will say that I came out of this movie telling pretty much everybody that the plot was predictable. And (laughs) you know what? I don't really have a problem with that. I really felt like... Uh, Me neither. Yeah. I mean, it was like, okay, they're going to do this. Yep. That's what they did. Okay, they're going to do this. Yeah. mm -hmm, Yep. That's what they did. But it didn't bug me. It's like usually when, when it's so formulaic that you just feel like, you wasted your time watching it because yeah. you could have written the script. In this instance, the predictability of the plot, I think, just added to the story. It's like, oh, yeah, they're fulfilling the roles of the characters in proper form because you know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's also an homage back to, you know, the the adventures that the characters run through because it, there's an ongoing joke in, among players that mm-hmm. – they all follow the same formula, and that same formula is is reflected in the movie. But in Honor Among Thieves, the fact that it was predictable 
worked in its favor mm-hmm. and it really helped drive the underlying humor too. Right. Yeah. And like you said, Chris Pine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there was so much comedic aspects to the characters that made it work. Speaking of which, I think my favorite character was Zink. Zink, Zink, how we said his name. Because he had a complete lack of humor. So it actually made it more funny because he took everything so literally. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a completely straight-laced character that had absolutely no sense of humor. And it made so- room for so many run- one-liners at his expense that it just, oh, it was hilarious. And I'm an English major, so I really appreciate when people take the idioms of our language literally. And because that is, <laughs> it, well, technically, that's kind of the way people who are foreign language speakers who are trying to learn English, they mostly hear idioms in a literal sense. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of gives you, you know, like a window into how other people see the English idioms, because a lot of them make no sense whatsoever. You just have to have the context of environment and upbringing in order to even understand most of our idioms. So yeah. I really appreciated that. You know, the guy who played Zink did an excellent job adding a little bit of extra layer to to the character. There's this scene where they're walking into the Underdark and Chris Pine's character, Egan, whispers something to Holga and Zank overhears it uh-huh. and responds to it. Walks away and, and they keep talking and he, he says, I can still hear you. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says, I hate you. And, and Zank, you know, gives this very slight smile mm-hmm. that was sort of like saying, yeah, I'm playing this for all it's worth. <laughs> yeah, which reminds me of the scene, and I don't want to do too many spoilers at this stage of our review, but there is a scene in there yeah. where they're in the Underdark and and there's these creatures that are will attack anything of high intelligence. And it, yeah. <laughs> it wanders by. He says, they will hold very still and say nothing. They will attack anything of intelligence. And then it just wanders past them. <laughs> It's absolutely hilarious. Pine delivers that line. Well, that's a little hurtful. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, the movie's funny. So if you like humor, that yeah. it's definitely a movie that you would like. It's kind of interesting because as we were crafting these notes, I got the impression that my joy and love of leverage really plays into my joy and love of watching this movie <laughs> because it's very similar. It's like the the whole concept of, you know, a band of thieves who do good. In the mm-hmm. context of a more high fantasy environment. Yeah, it it's a heist movie, yeah. sort of. And it has that same kind of little gotcha at the end where everything comes out because it was planned that way. And and to be honest, Edgen is like the the you know, the genius brain character. So everybody fits the same slot, you know, that, that the leverage characters fit, which uh, is kind of funny. Yeah. You've got the The planner and the Thief and the muscle. The muscle, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can see that. It's And it also has a, a touch of redemption arc to it, which, mm-hmm. you know, is my main weakness. <laughs> redemption and heist both in there. Uh, I'm game. <laughs> yeah. no, no pun intended. Yeah. Well, you know, this may end up being a movie that I will have to own just so because it's just one of those movies that you just want to, you know, you walk out entertained and... Yeah. 
you know, everybody says, well, what did you think of Dungeons and Dragons? Like, I found it very entertaining. It was an entertaining movie. Yep. And there were some really good themes to discuss in it, too. So it's not like we're just like capping this, you know, oh, we're going to do Dungeons and Dragons. So we have to do it because we said we were going to do it. But it's not that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, there is actually a ton of stuff in here. In fact, we're going to skip over quite a bit of theme- themes <laughs> because there is so much stuff in here. But I let, let's hear about what you thought, because you're bringing the gamer per- perspective into the movie. Yeah. My first D&D set was what they call the brown box or the brown cover, D&D version one. I started playing within a decade of its original release out into the wild, which was, I think, like 72. Mm-hmm. So I'm very familiar with it. It's not my game of choice, because... For me, role-playing games are all about the storytelling and the fellowship with the other players and using it all to weave a moral story. And But D&D, you can do that in D&D. It's just a, a little overused, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the movie, even though the plot was predictable, they met the predictions in a sort of unpredictable way. Which may not make a lot of sense, but it actually ties back to something from the game mechanics, not so much the newer versions, but the the older versions called alignment. And the, the idea is that every character has an alignment that is a tool for the player to use in making decisions as how the character will react to certain things. And the alignment is broken down into, uh, it's a matrix of nine squares. It's broken down into two axes, good, neutral, and evil, along, let's say, the x-axis. And then lawful, neutral, and chaotic along the y-axis. So when you're playing your character, if they're chaotic good, they will always look to be helping people. But they may not be terribly concerned about the laws of the land when it comes to doing so. <laughs> if they are lawful evil, then they might be a politician who works the system in every possible way to his own advantage and might even go out of his way to make sure other people are hurt. Boy, I could say something political right now. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, you have every combination in between. You've got true neutral characters who are, you know, very stoic. And you've got neutral good who they know what is right. And they really, they don't put much thought into the law about, you know, making it happen. And they used the alignments of these individual characters. And we know what those alignments are in the game because they actually published statistic blocks, you know, characteristic blocks for all the main characters on the Dungeons and Dragons website. And they used those alignments really well to help tell the story and to drive all the the plot elements, which worked out great. The movie was really quick-witted. The way the jokes were coming in, in such a rhythm, it sort of made me think of West Wing. You know, the walking and talking where it made you think about what they were saying while they were actually doing things that were important. Hmm. All the story plots were well woven together. 
and they tied everything tied up nicely at the end. It didn't have any hanging chads to <laughs> to really mess with you at the end. And there were a bunch of small things in the movie that really rewarded you for noticing them. For example, at the beginning of the movie where Edgen is telling the backstory of how they ended up in this prison, when things go pear-shaped, to use a phrase that they used, you see the person who becomes the villain in the movie, the main villain in the movie, steals something that looks, at the time, totally innocuous. But it ends up being a key item in her plans as the movie goes on. Mm. And you don't really realize it to the very end. And then there was another little thing where Edgen was talking about when he and Holga turned to a life of crime after hitting rock bottom. They smash a window and he grabs all of this jewelry off a tree and a, a, a tree being a jewelry tree, not an actual tree. <laughs> And Holga looks in and she reaches and takes one necklace with a nice amulet on the end from it. And then the next scene shows that she puts this one thing she stole around the neck of Edgen's little girl, who she sort of adopted. And you don't realize it at the time, but it really speaks to Holga's character and her importance in this little family. Right. And Holga's you know, true feelings for Egan's daughter, Kira. I've talked to a couple of my gamer friends about the movie. We actually saw it with a gamer friend. My buddy down in Georgia saw it and said the exact same thing. The team that did this movie clearly knew what they were doing. And I've since learned that they actually had a couple folks on the set who were experts on the rules, as in from the company. Mm-hmm. And advise them on, you know, what could be done and what couldn't be done. But they also knew that the plot would always come first. The story would always come first. So there was that give and take, that, that compromise that, that made it really work out so that people who came in knowing the system would see these little things like the intellect devourers and the rust monsters and the, the pudgy dragon and go, Oh, Oh, I know what that's from. I We encountered him, or he was in that book, or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And I found out later that one of the directors and screenwriters, a guy by the name of John Francis Daly, who was actually a main character in the TV show uh, Bones. He played the psychologist by the name of Sweets. Okay. Not only is he a role player... But he was actually in one of the original gaming movies, <laughs> and he brought all this knowledge to the writing and everything. He and the guy he directed with actually were from their own gaming group. So it was clear that they came to it with a, a love and, and sense of respect for the gaming system, but also a really wonderful storytelling ethic that worked out well. I did want to comment that I, I'm sort of getting a little, not frustrated, tired, I guess, of Hollywood putting out nostalgia, harvesting intellectual property from the previous decades, half century, it's starting to feel like, 
and not putting out original things. I could apply some Ecclesiastes to that, you know. <laughs> yeah. You might be saying something, uh, nothing is new under the sun? That's what I was perhaps? thinking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I know I've mentioned this before, we really need more original content in popular movies. But the fact that the nostalgia, you know, the reworked content is all that we're seeing in popular movies says that's what's making the money. So they don't really have much of a reason to not use it. Well, it's our guess it's our generation who are currently spending money on movies. So Yeah, exactly. So I can't fault them for, you know, wanting to make money. I'd like to see people desire new content. There has been new content. I mean, like Gemini Man yeah. that we just mentioned, that was a fairly fresh idea. And, mm. you know, it, it does happen that there's, I mean, it's not like every movie is nostalgic, but it just seems like those yeah. are the ones yeah. that we're reviewing because they're nostalgic to us. And so we go see them and they're what we're reviewing. So <gasps> part of it. It's all our fault. Yeah. Part of it is is that's because that's what we're watching. And part of it is, I think, also because I think we are avoiding certain kinds of movies as a podcasting group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff now that because we kind of have the underlying requirement that we have to like the content that we're reviewing yeah. for the sake of not just completely bashing it in a review. I think that that kind of limits us as well, because so much of Hollywood that they're coming out with now, you know, destroys things that we like. <laughs> and and then we all we can say is negative yeah. things. And so I think that that also comes out of this that you know, we're attracted to these nostalgic movies because it's our generation and that's what we're avoiding certain other movies. Like we probably could have been doing, we could have been doing another Marvel movie or something like that, but we've started avoiding those yeah. because we're tired of the social commentary that is coming with those properties. So, yeah. Yeah. We were actually sort of joking before we started recording how you can tell this isn't a Disney movie <laughs> because none of the main characters are gay. heavily identified as gay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the and the little girl doesn't come out at the end there of the movie. There was very little identity politics going on at all so, or social commentary. I mean, there wasn't even very yeah. much in the way of racial commentary or anything like that. So that was kind of... A relief to be able to sit through a movie and not feel like I'm being preached at. So. Refreshing change. Yes, very refreshing change. Yeah. And, you know, the more I think about it, the more I like the fact that we were able to get away from the social commentary with this one. Yeah. So you've already touched on it a little bit with your impressions, but we do need to spend a little bit of time talking about the stigma that comes with Dungeons and & Dragons. And it's Really interesting to me because Dungeons and Dragons is just one of many role playing games that came out in the 80s and 90s. But if you mentioned mm -hmm. any of the other titles, none of them would raise any eyebrows no. because people, for some reason, having dragons in the title, I guess, knowing that there were wizards as characters or whatever, there was mm -hmm. magic. And, and they weren't even the only ones that had those things. It was just <laughs> somehow or another that title got stigmatized. Yeah, it got it got connected to a news story, and that was it. Yeah, so we we kind of put this out on our Discord channel prior to recording, and one of our listeners had started a forum comment about Dungeons and Dragons, and I thought some of the things that he said were really interesting because he kind of went through 
his evolution as a gamer. And one of the things that he posted was a link to a chick track. And I don't know how many of our listeners remember chick tracks. If they're our age, they probably do. Mm. I think they kind of came out of the Jesus Revolution, that whole concept of making like little tiny graphic novels that told a story. Yeah. And they even mentioned it in Jesus Revolution. Yeah. yeah, So that kind of ties us back to our previous review, but it's kind of something that came out as a witnessing tool where you would suck somebody in by giving them this little graphic novel that they could read and it ended with, you know, how to be saved. In this instance, and we'll put the link to this chick track in our show notes, and I highly recommend if if you never go to our show notes, this might be a time to go and check out this link because it is. Wow. It is. Wow. Yeah. I actually vaguely remember this chick track, which is really interesting because this was not new to me. It was all of the concepts that were in that chick track were things that had been really pressed on me. And And I'm not exactly sure at what part of my life. You know, I was introduced to these concepts, but it would have been pre-high school, I think. So it would have been like mid-80s, maybe. But I just remember, you know, that whole stigma of, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is evil. If you get involved with it Mm -hmm. and your player gets killed, you'll commit suicide and it'll suck you into the occult and all of these things that they were saying. And... I don't know that I necessarily bought into it, but I was in, you know, a Christian community that bought into it. So I was highly sheltered and I wasn't really introduced to fantasy as a genre to read until I got into high school and I started being able to choose my own books. And I actually got sucked into fantasy mostly in college and hmm. I enjoy fantasy, but I can see some of the concern. Let's, I'm, I'm going to kind of approach this from as neutral a position as possible because mm-hmm. I'm not a parent, but I can see how if I had children, I would be very careful about allowing them to get involved in some of the pagan practices that are held up as examples in a lot of fantasy content. So I have to say that with qualifications and that I enjoy reading fantasy, but I read fantasy as a Christian reading fantasy. So I'm kind of mocking the pagan beliefs like, oh, they believe this about their, you know, deity or whatever. Mm. But if you're raising children, impressionable children, and, and they're just imbibing this fantasy content, I could see how it could have very negative influences on their lives and especially negative influences on their spirituality. And so I do see that there is reason to be cautious, not just of Dungeons and Dragons, but in fantasy in general. Just as I would say it's, it's, there's good reason to be cautious about sending your kids to secular schools to be indoctrinated into the ways of atheism and humanism and all of that stuff as well. I mean, it's just being a parent means you there's, should be conscious. As a parent, there's no end of the reasons to be cautious. So <laughs> yeah, so it's, you you just have to be constantly on guard, uh, not constantly aware of their actions, but yeah, constantly on guard and observant. Right. You know, right. situational awareness with your kids. Right. You know, you can take it too far where you shelter your kids so much that then when they are able to take part in some of these things that they've been protected from. It has this shiny object, you know, that 
that they've been kept away from for so long. And then they, that makes them even want it more, you know? So I think that there's, Mm -hmm. you definitely have to strike a balance between, no, you can't have this. It's sinful. It's awful. It's the occult. It's going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. It's, you know, all of these things that we're worried about. Or like you said, using role-playing in a more, you know, Christian way. Yeah. And it made me think of that verse, First uh, Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And in a way, that's kind of why we watch movies for Are You Just Watching? We're trying to do it for the glory mm-hmm. of God. We're trying to talk about, you know, the things that we have watched for entertainment from a biblical perspective and caution other people to be alert and to not just sit down and imbibe this content. I think it goes just as well into, you know, other forms of entertainment. Like if you're choosing to do Dungeons and Dragons role playing, knowing that you're imbibing fantastical realms with magic and all of these other things and put them in the, in the correct slot of why you're doing this. You know, I, I sort of think of it just like guns, mm-hmm. which may be a, a weird connection, but you know, guns are are our tool, right, for self defense or for sport that can be used for evil. No, there's no other way to put it, right. And it, it's like C.S. Lewis says in the Inner Ring: a thing may be morally neutral, and yet the desire for that thing may be dangerous. It's not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And any tool can be used for good or ill. And even Jesus used stories to to make his points. So storytelling, it's not evil. The fantasy setting is not evil. It just uses a different set of concepts and tools within the storytelling to illustrate important things. Yeah, like a lot of people believe that Tolkien was writing, you know, Christian literature when he wrote Lord of the Rings, and it's it's very similar setting where you have elves and dwarves yeah. and wizards and all of that. And he had C.S. Lewis yeah. as well. Yeah, C.S. Lewis took it even further with very clear, I don't know what it would be, metaphor, simile, or analogy. Analogy, probably. <laughs> anyway, it's one of those words. And that's what we should be doing. It's the verse you use, 1 Corinthians 10.31. That's what we use when we're gaming. I'm in a group of Christian gamers, and we start each session with prayer. We seek good fellowship, and we look for ways to glorify God even even in our uh, enjoyment of the game. Mm -hmm. It's not inherently evil. But it can certainly be that gateway, that tool, just like, mm-hmm. just like you know, we're seeing with the LGBTQ and this incredible increase of children who are saying, "Oh no, I'm gender neutral," or "I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body," or vice versa. Yeah, because they're being influenced by otherwise people who believe they're being helpful. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, reading that chick track again, because I'm pretty sure I saw that when I was, when it came out, I'm almost positive I probably had a copy of it at some point. (laughs) Reading that again, it kind of put me back into thinking about, you know, what some of the arguments were against Dungeons and Dragons. And looking at that 
with the 2020 vision that we have now of, you know, a couple decades of the internet and cell phones and all of this stuff, which, you know, didn't exist in the 80s. I'm thinking that what what a lot of people were holding against Dungeons and Dragons was really just more of the same peer pressure bullying and mental illness that was untreated uh, among our young people that we see today. It just you know in the it's it different things instigate that or make it worse and i think that with dungeons and dragons you know uh, in the chick track they show one kid being forcefully removed from the game because you know the character died mm-hmm. and then going and committing suicide and it's like most people can have their role playing character killed and either assume another character or just wait until the next game you know yeah they don't take it personally. And the only reason that you would take something like that personally is if you are mentally unstable or you're being bullied or, you know, there's extenuating circumstances that need to be addressed in such instances. It's not like a, a perfectly stable kid with from a stable home is going to play a role-playing game and get caught up in this character and then go commit suicide because their character is killed. It just, that's not a, a healthy thing you know, to, to put yeah. that, that kind of spin on it. So, and I think we're seeing that nowadays, you know, with, with the internet and social media and all of the things that our kids are just surrounded by, that it makes that kind of bullying and that kind of mental instability so much harder to live with than it ever was with Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. and role-playing games. So. And yet, you know, Matt, in his comments in the Discord movie forum that we have, he even made a comment about when he first encountered Dungeons and Dragons and realized that it wasn't this chick track terror. Yeah. <laughs> he says uh, it was just some dudes, some cool dice, maybe character sheets, no costumes or maps or miniatures. Nobody cared whether when a character died, it just meant you could make a new one. He joined and, and he said he enjoyed it. It actually goes back to the original design of the game. Characters build experience, and then they they use that experience to level up, and then you can keep going, you know, way up into the the higher levels, like level twenty and all that. Mm-hmm. But the original game only had nine levels, and at the ninth level, you retired to your mansion and lived off your loot, and then you started a new character and started all over. <laughs> yeah. The original game really was all about the storytelling. Yeah. And and the enjoyment of the story. Yeah. And and like I said, I think if people were having issues with it, which undoubtedly there were the occasional person who would commit suicide. And I'm not trying to make that sound like it's not not important because the loss of life is important. Right. I'm just saying that there were probably extenuating circumstances going on there. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like Dungeons and Dragons was at fault because somebody had a mental illness that went untreated and then they were bullied and they reacted. I mean, we have young people committing suicide like crazy right now, and they probably have never Mm -hmm. touched Dungeons and Dragons. It has nothing to do with, you know, what they're doing, you know, when when they do something wrong or when, you know, drugs or suicide or whatever those things, those are all come out of untreated sin, which we're going to deal with later on in this discussion. And Mm -hmm. let's put it this way. We should all be wise as Christians in the things that we choose to do for entertainment. That's the whole point of this podcast. Are you just watching? Are you just playing? Are you just reading? Are you just all of these things that we fill our Mm -hmm. lives with 
you know, it goes back to 1 Corinthians 10 31. Whether you're doing these or you're not doing these, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So it's always, it's not that we, we do God on Sundays and we do God on, you know, maybe mm-hmm. our morning devotions for 15 to 30 minutes and then we just exit Christianity and do whatever we please the rest of the time. So this is, you know, an all encompassing verse. It's everything we do, eating, drinking, playing, watching, reading, whatever we do, we should be doing it for the glory of God. And if you're convicted by the Holy Spirit that the things that you're doing are not glorifying God, then simply stop doing them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's pretty straightforward. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I don't know that We'll probably deal with the controversy maybe to the extent that some people would want to, but it's amazing to me how many of my Christian social circle actually have in the past actively played role-playing games and how many of them currently are playing role-playing games. Mm. I have never done it. And it's not that I fear it in any way. It's just I've never had the opportunity. No one's invited me into a game. And I think when I was in college – I realized that I have an addictive personality where I get hooked on things. And so Mm -hmm. personally, it's something that I try to guard against is getting involved in things that I know could strike that addictive cord in my personality and make me want to do it more and more and more to the exclusion of all the other things I should be doing. And so I have somewhat stepped back. Not that I've ever been invited, but I think I would probably be cautious in accepting an invitation into a role-playing community just because I think it's something that I would really enjoy doing and it might become an addiction for me. Yeah. And you know, that's a lot more common in adolescent children and high school age children because they're searching. Right. And they're looking for what they're good at in life. And yeah, that's you know, another reason that a parent needs to be observant is to to watch for obsessions and stuff like that. Yeah, because obsessions can definitely be bad for you on multiple levels. And uh, addictions and obsessions are not something that we want to feed our children the opportunities to get into. So especially when it's mm-hmm. a personality trait that some people have more than others. And I mean, that's what leads to alcoholics and you know, people who get addicted to things that are addictive, but then there are things where you can literally become obsessed with something that it, it by its nature is not addictive, but because you have the personality for addiction, you can struggle with them. So, yep. And, you know, like I said, if it doesn't glorify God, then, and it's not necessary for your well being, then it probably is better to just avoid it. Very true. All right. So, before we go into discussing themes, which we're actually going to do a, a shorter discussion on themes this time because we have already spent quite a bit of time just talking about Dungeons and Dragons in general. I do want to remind you to support our podcast. You can do it by going to patreon.com slash are you just watching or are you just watching.com slash Patreon. And we have some donors that I'm just very thankful for because they just, they've signed up and they just give monthly and, and they're just, always there. And I just really appreciate all of them. Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman, they've all been giving generously to this podcast for months and months and months, some of them years. And we just appreciate every single one of them. If you would like to join them in supporting Mm. us, please check out 
patreon.com slash are you just watching. And then if you want to comment on the show notes, they will be at are you just watching.com slash 139. And like I said, you might want to go check out the show notes this time. Tim does a wonderful job of writing the show notes, but we will have some at least one link in the podcast oh, show yeah. notes that you would probably want to check out in this instance. <laughs> Chicks. <laughs> yeah. So you can call 513-818-2959 and text or leave a voicemail. I mean, that's a really quick, easy way to just drop us a note and let us know, hey, we love this podcast, is just send a text to that number. It's a regular number, so there shouldn't yes, be any please. fees involved. And it keeps that number going for us. It's a Google Voice line. And if we don't use it on a regular basis, it, it starts to expire on us. So we just appreciate hearing from you guys, whether you liked our episodes. You could also email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Or you can join our Facebook discussion group, which you can get to by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community. And we would really love for you to come to join our Discord server, which you can get to by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Discord. And finally, I'm not going to interrupt anymore. We're going to just, it's going to be straight themes here to the end. <laughs> this is my one and only ad. I really, really ask that you would share our podcast please share our podcast. Let people know that you listen to us and that you enjoy what you hear in this podcast, assuming you do, and spread it to other people. We have seen a pretty steady decline in our listenership over the last year or so. And I would love to see those numbers pop up. And it's not all about numbers. If there's two or three people that are getting something out of this podcast, I think Tim and I are still willing to do it. But we yep. would really love to see more people hearing our podcast and joining our community and starting discussions and forums and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's something that we love talking about. And it would be a lot more fun to talk with more people about than just each other. So true. Yeah. All right. Moving into our thematic discussion, we are going to breeze through a few. We're going to have to. <laughs> We're going to breeze through a handful of plots and topics and themes that we have talked about probably, I would say, like five out of seven movies. We bring these I, up. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, w I was thinking 50% and then I thought, no, way too low. <laughs> so there are some pretty common themes in this movie, but then there were some ones that weren't quite so common. So we're going to skip over the common ones, but... We're just going to let you know. Which are no less important yeah, because they they're common. Yeah, they are important. Some of these were really big themes in the movie. And the only reason that we're not dealing with them is because we've already dealt with these themes so many times we're tired of talking about them. So some of them that are in this movie is family. There's a really strong family theme in this movie about the importance of family, the love of family. There's a strong theme about adoption mm -hmm. in this movie, uh, which we have dealt with numerous times. And there's a strong undercurrent about sacrifice in this movie, which we've also talked about mm -hmm. a lot. And I think, you know, we don't want to talk too much about, you know, the heart being deceitful and wicked and all of that stuff because in, you know, following your heart and all that kind of stuff, because almost every movie deals with that theme. <laughs> so just know those themes are in this movie. And some of them are very, very strong themes in this movie. Yeah. We're skipping over them so that we can talk about something else. Yeah, they're all good motivators. They're all important. Yeah. But we're going to wear out the Bible verses. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not going to wear out the Bible verses. 
All right. The biggest theme that I saw, other than the ones we just discarded, are living with the consequences of your actions, which I think is a really interesting theme. And it ties into the whole topic of a band of thieves, because that's really, you know, the characters of this. That's why it reminds me of Leverage. They're all bad guys who are trying to do good things. And or in this instance, they're do they're bad guys who have gotten sucked into doing a good thing completely because <laughs> it was along the way to a selfish end. So, you know, oh, by the way, let's, you know, save the world while we're doing something selfish. I want to point out though that they're they're bad guys in the sense that they are not lawful. Right. But they're good guys in the sense that you know, they say a couple times that they have a no hurting policy, no kill policy. And actually, it's when they get betrayed that they realize they've been betrayed when the person that is betraying them starts killing. Yeah. So, you know, they're bad guys, sort of. So you think Robin Hood was okay as a thief? You know, <laughs> it, it's funny you should ask that. <laughs> No, I, I don't. I think Robin Hood was the bad guy. I also think the Empire was right in Star Wars. But that's <laughs> another story altogether. All right. We're sticking with this movie, not all the yeah. others. <laughs> now, I think as is the case with most Dungeons & Dragons, every character has to establish his backstory. And yeah. that, that, I think that's kind of like how you start the game, right? It's like everybody... Well, when you're a dungeon master, the first thing you should do is always talk to each player about their character's backstory, because you want to get each player hooked. Right. <laughs> you want to get them invested in the story. Right. And the best way to do that is to start off by saying, you have come to the city seeking a cure for the plague that is striking your village. Right. And your mother is bedridden sick with this plague, you know, stuff like that. Right, right. So in this instance, Edgen, the whole movie starts with Edgen's backstory. So we find out about Edgen's backstory because he and Holga are in jail and he is going up before the parole board. The parole board? Both, both of them are. Yeah. Both of them are going up, which is sort of weird. Yeah. I guess it's because they were arrested together for the same crime, maybe? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And then put the same cell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was actually a whole interesting thing, because Holka's a really dangerous mm. lady. Yeah. <laughs> You'll understand that if you've seen the movie. So anyway, his backstory is important to the whole movie, because it's all about Edgen, really. The, everything is about Edgen mm. in this movie. All the other characters are supporting him, or they're against him, one or the other. And so this yep. is where the whole plot of the movie comes from. And Edgen sure. is, I think he's, he really is the leverage. I'm going back to leverage because that's kind of what I've, I've see the parallel in. So in, mm -hmm. in leverage, there's the one character who is the genius. He's the planner. He's the one that always puts all the heists together, but he has a backstory where he's not a bad guy. So he was an insurance mm -hmm. investigator who turned bad because the in insurance company he worked for turned on him. So yeah. In this instance, Edgen was a harper who had a a really idyllic life until his poverty made him steal something he shouldn't have stolen, and that got his wife killed. And once his wife killed, it was just like he gave up his oath, he gave up being a harper, he gave up everything. And so it's a long list of consequences of actions that have yeah. 
you know, basically destroyed his life and in every way, shape and form, all starting with stealing something that didn't belong to him. And, you know, it's a series of decisions that he makes mm-hmm. where it's specifically against the advice or the dictates or the rules or whatever of other people. And he, he decides that he knows better. Right. Even his wife is telling him, you know, they're fine the way they are. Right. Yeah. And even his daughter saying, we have everything we need. You don't need to go. Right. So there's a series of bad decisions that he makes. And the whole, you know, where he is at the beginning of the movie is a consequence of all of these bad decisions that he's made. And, you know, it it made me think as I was, even as I was watching the movie, because I'm watching it critically, mm. it really made me think as I was watching it is that he is a really good model for what it's like to try and live a Christian life without Christ. So, so many people go through the motions and Mm -hmm. they're not doing it for the right reasons and their sin takes them down the wrong path no matter what they try. So, it's like you have the best intentions in the world, but you're still going to go the wrong way because that's what sin does to you. It makes you make the wrong choices. And as we know from scripture that the wages of sin is death and the, the gift of God is eternal life. We have sin in our lives. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin are death. You know, I can just go through the whole Roman road here. But in Galatians 6, 7 through 8, it says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. And that is, you know, basically what we see played out in Edwin's life. It's like the harper that he was, it seemed like a really good parallel for, you know, Christian living, really. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they described harpers as, you know, doing good and living in the service of others and all of these things. And it was, to me, that kind of goes towards that concept of, you know, living the Christian life. Yeah, they almost made it sound like doing good is its own reward. Right. He wasn't exposed to accept payment. You know, it was just for the good of others. Almost monkish in the way. Yeah, it, yeah, almost like a monk. And it's interesting because I, I chose these two sets of verses and I just realized that it's basically all the same passage. So I'm going to keep going. I just read Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Now let's read Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So this is what the Harper life was supposed to be for Edwin. He was supposed to be living this, you know, good life where he was helping others and doing good for others. And he that one moment of selfishness, and he departed from that path. And then my favorite character, Zink, tells him, You may have forsworn your oath, but your oath has not forsworn you. And in fact, at the end of the movie, Edwin returns to being a Harper. Mm-hmm. When that line was delivered, which I think Edwin didn't understand, because I think that was his response to that one was something to the order of, you know, if, <laughs> if you make it a... Just because he's saying is symmetrical doesn't mean... Doesn't mean it isn't nonsense. That it has to make sense. Or it does, yeah, yeah, or something like right? that. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it was something like that. Uh, he didn't understand that comment, but believe it or not, I did. I was listening to that, and I was like, 
we abandon God all the time. As Christians, it's so easy for us to lose focus and step away, even though we were just talking previously about, you know, doing everything for the glory of God. It is so easy for us to get distracted and not, and do things not for the glory of God. And I think that Edwin is a really good picture of that. He lost his focus on what it meant to be a harper, but he was still a harper. And at the end, he realizes he that calling is still there. And I think it was probably because Zink had reminded him of it. Mm-hmm. They were on their way out. They were leaving. They had gotten what they came for. They had the gold, the loot, the daughter, everything. They were on their way out. And he realized that an entire city of people were being turned into zombies by the evil red wizard. Yeah. They were scot-free. They were scot-free. They were completely yep. free. And they turned around and went back because he was like, it's time to be a Harper again and do good for others. Put his entire team at risk to do it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in context of the movie, there was no Christ-like behavior going on. There was no prompting of the Holy Spirit going on. But to me, that was a really <laughs> interesting parallel in the fact that, as in it says in John ten twenty-eight through 29, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So once saved, we are property of God, we are his children, and we may leave him for a time, but he doesn't give up on us. And that is such a blessing. Yeah. (laughs) And I got that out of the movie before I even started writing these notes. That was one of the things I walked out of the movie thinking about, which is kind of cool when you went to a Dungeons Dragons movie. (laughs) And, you know, of course, the writers made it work this way, but God often makes it work this way to bring him back to you when you know when you've stepped away or when Mm -hmm. you've fallen down it was sort of nice seeing it and that was one of the elements where i had said earlier you know everything ties together nicely at the end everything's resolved and there's that redemption arc for edgen Mm -hmm. you know at the end of the movie he and his party they're receiving the rewards he's up there with his harper's pin back on Mm mm-hmm and I I guess I didn't quite understand the parallelism in there, but you really nailed it. And then, you know, there's one little other thing about his character that I think is important. And, you know, his relationship with his daughter was really interesting. And I, and mm-hmm. I think that this happens a lot in families that lose one of the spouses, like one of the parents, is yeah. that. You're so tied up in the love of your life that when that love is lost, the presence of the child is only a reminder of what you lost and can sometimes add to the pain. And I think Mm -hmm. that in this instance where you see Holga and Edwin's relationship, which was purely sibling through the whole movie, he never saw Holga as being Kira's mother because – yeah. In his mind, Zia was Kira's mother. Mm -hmm. The whole object of the thing that he went to steal the second time that put him in prison was this tablet of resurrection. He was going to resurrect his wife with that tablet so that Kira could have her mother back. And Kira was a baby when Zia was killed. She never knew her. So Holga was her mother. And Edgen, because of his love for Zia, and and it was so dominating in everything, you know, that he had lost his wife and he felt guilty. He felt like her loss was his fault, which in a way it was. He had 
completely missed the fact that Kira had a different mom. And so his priority in getting Zia back was in a way, and we're going to deal with Forge and and his fatherhood issues, (laughs) (laughs) was in a way what Forge used against Edgen with Kira because in a way it was true. He loved Zia so much that he didn't care about his daughter. Yeah, he took care of her. He made sure that she was taken care of. But his entire focus in life was getting Zia back for the both of them, not realizing that Kira didn't need her. Yeah, it's. I don't think I would agree that he neglected Kira at all. I think he was a loving father, but I think he was a widower Mm -hmm. up until the point where he realizes that Holga has been... Kira's mother all along. Right. And that was his redemption. But I'm saying that up until that point, his entire being was focused on getting Zia back. Mm. And I thought it was really interesting because you may have missed it. I imagine a lot of people will that Zink made a comment to Edgen when they were traveling. And Edgen had talked about, I guess somebody had told Zink that he wanted to get Zia back. And he said, did you ever think that you would be taking her away from her new life to bring her back to her old life? And obviously that was representing, you know, this concept of reincarnation where she had been reborn into a new life. And if he brought her back, he was taking her out of what, you know, because it had been so many years. Yeah. So there was that, that little thing. And I think that that was the niggling doubt that allowed him to see there at the end when Holga was dying. I think that was the niggling doubt that gave him the opportunity to see that Kira loved Holga like a mother and that she had no clue who Zia was. And it gave him a different perspective than he'd had up until that point. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it was part of his redemption, but I do think that he was at fault for that. Oh, yeah. Can't argue that. And, you know, it sort of speaks to his role as Holga's friend, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost brother. That he didn't notice how close their relationship was. Yeah. Yeah. A man has a different relationship with a wife than he has with a sister. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) So the other topic that we really wanted to touch on ever so briefly, it's he's not really the main villain in the movie, but... He's the toy of the main villain. (laughs) Yeah. He is the traitor. From He was yeah. originally a member of Edgen's crew. He was the con man. He was a grifter <laughs> right? in the original crew. And he ends up betraying, I say ends up, but in the backstory that we're given at the very beginning, we discover that he is among those betraying Edgen and Simon and, you know... <laughs> going in league with the obviously evil woman. <laughs> right. Don't know why nobody saw that at the beginning, but whatever. And then later on in the movie, it becomes clear that he is perfectly aware of Sophina's plans to literally kill the entire population of a major city. Right. And doesn't care as long as he gets away with, you know, Absolute. all the stuff that he stole. Yeah. So there is no question that this guy is 100% selfish and 100% evil. Right. Yet, there are elements in here that suggest that he actually can view goodness. 
he recognizes goodness in Kira, Edgen's daughter, who, after Edgen goes to prison, Forge takes takes in. Yeah. Yeah. He basically makes her a princess, which is amazing. I mean, Mm -hmm. to be able to be raised that way. Yeah. Yeah. He said he used the money that they stole from Corrin's Keep to finance his campaign to become Lord of Everwinter. And there he's living essentially as a lord. Right. Anyway, there's a time in there where Forge is talking to Kira, even as he's planning to kill thousands of people. And he says to her something along the lines of, I'm so happy you see good in me because every time you do, it makes me think there might just be good in me. And it just speaks to the the fact that even somebody who is utterly devoid of God's grace never really is because all people, even, you know, half elves and tieflings (laughs) are made in the image of God. And that image of God, as Paul tells us in Romans 2, is what denies them an excuse from not believing in Christ. Romans 2, 14 through 16 says, So when Gentiles, who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret, according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. So, you know, in that one line in this movie, Forge convicts himself entirely. Yeah, you he, know what? I I, uh, I disagree with you on his character, really. I, I think okay. you're maybe giving him a little more of a positive spin than he deserves, because <laughs> okay, in that particular discussion that he was having with Kira, he was continuing to double down on the lie that he was telling her about her father. Oh, yeah. And I think that it was just part of his conning her into being angry and, you know, loving him and, and hating her father. I think it was just part of the con because he was talking specifically to her at that point. I think he was a little bit more honest when he was talking to uh, Edgen and Holga right before sending them off to their death that he was actually kind of liked having you know Kira there to look up to him and make him oh, yeah. feel godlike and it was um, to- totally selfish reasons yes but i i felt it was supposed to be a line of self-reflection mm-hmm. not you know a a intentional lie to further endear Kira to him but i can certainly see why you might come at it from that side too yeah, I think he was perfectly honest when he was talking to Edgen and that he was always perpetuating a con on Kira. So I wouldn't trust anything he was saying to Kira. Of course, he made a comment to Edgen earlier. It's like, when would you ever trust a con man? So it was like he, he mm-hmm. knew that he was a con man and that he was not trustworthy. So I don't know. I, I mean, I, knowing you and how much you love to see redemption or even yeah. just the possibility of redemption in somebody's life. I can see why you take that spin on him, but <laughs> I don't think they were being very charitable to forge through the entire movie. He was definitely a very selfish. Everything was about him. Yeah. 
he had no point of redemption, even when they were using the golden treasures that he was taking off with while the rest of the city was being destroyed. They used that to lure the people out of the stadium so that they would not get killed. Yeah. And he was like, no, you know, trying to grab every last little penny and gold. He had really no care for anybody. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if there was a moment of grace, it was a very short moment and it had no lasting impact on him as a a person. I wouldn't even say it was a moment of grace in as much as it was a a moment where he acknowledged his failing Mm -hmm. and embraced the failing as his path. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are other things that we could talk about in this movie. You know, just thinking back over, there was some of the, you know, the funnier scenes like the grave robbing that they did. (laughs) Well, they didn't really rob the graves, but they were digging up dead people to ask them questions. And somebody asked me if there had been a teaser, you know, because that's something that Marvel started doing in a post credit scene. scene or yeah 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 and there actually was in this movie if you stayed past like the initial credits where they do like all of the actors where they and go stuff. from the artistic credits to the scrolling credits right exactly that division they did have the scene where it showed the last dead person that they had questioned they had forgotten that they'd only asked him for. And mm. so he was still sitting in his grave waiting for somebody to ask him a question so that he could die again he was like pleading with the audience to ask him a question. So that was kind of a funny thing, but you know, does that deal with necromancy a little bit? So it's like, there were some things in there that were questionable, but you know, that's what fantasy is. It deals with all of those weird topics and things. And yeah, I did want to bring up just a a little bit of political and social commentary to cap this off at the end. I recently heard, I think it was actually just this week that the company that makes Dungeons and Dragons has changed the terminology of their characters because they don't want to be racist. So you can no longer be half elven yep. or half dwarven. Yeah, or the new the new version orc. they're putting out called Dungeons and Dragons yeah. One. They are removing half races. And I got to thinking, well, actually, the commentary I was hearing about this was that how racist can you be? So it's no longer that you, if you have just a little bit of elf in you, you're now just an elf. It's like they were thinking that saying you were half something was a racist term. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, telling somebody that even if they're just a smidgen of something, they're that thing. It's like that that's even more racist, in my opinion, because it says that there is nothing that identifies them other than their race, even if they're only part of that race. And to me, it's a move that is actually racist. And Mm. I'm super weirded out by that because... From a storytelling standpoint, too, a friend of mine is or was a line developer for another role-playing game called Earthdawn. And Mm -hmm. he is still heavily involved with the the game and, you know, still in the company that makes it, a company called FASA. And he and and another gentleman, they do a podcast where they're talking about the game and, and, you know, they every couple episodes they do a questions episode. And he was talking about eliminating discrimination and racism in the game. Mm-hmm. And from a storytelling standpoint, you don't want to do that because you you need it to reflect enough of real life that it can be an escape from real life. 
stories need conflict. And that conflict, at times it has to be interpersonal conflict so that the heroes can stand against it and vanquish it. Yeah. One of my favorite characters in the Dragonlance series was a half-elf. And the whole backstory for his character was that the elves didn't like him because he was half-human, and the humans didn't like him because he was half-elf. And it had everything to do with his character and his personality and what he chose to do with his life. Mm. That is an important character development. If you just drop that because it, it's racist to have it, <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't know. It bugs me. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. We haven't decided what we're going to do for May yet, but I'm haven't sure we'll be good. Haven't even talked about it. <laughs> we haven't even talked about it. Yeah. So we'll let you know if you follow us on Facebook or Discord. We will let you know what we will be working on for May. And we thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.